0: And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right. Hey, you guys, check it out. It's Danny Davis, a former lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army. And again, a famous whistleblower from the Afghan war from 2012. Decorated veteran of Iraq War I and II and uh, Afghanistan. And he blew the whistle on how Petraeus was lying that his surge had accomplished anything on the way out in 2012 and said, don't you believe it, America? Um, And he was sure right about that. And so uh, welcome back to the show. Great to have you on. Thank you for joining us again.
1: You always know it's my pleasure. And uh, defense priorities. That's
0: your home now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I should have said that earlier in the introduction. All right. Anyway, so it's like this. Top headline on antiwar.com. Kabul attacks kill 73 including 13 U.S. troops, and that's uh, Marines and a Navy corpsman, I believe, was one of them, was the last I saw there. So I guess just tell us what's on your mind, your reaction to the attack and, and your understanding of what happened with this attack at it, the Kabul airport. You know, it's, it's,
1: it's just such an egregious, uh, you know, coda to end this catastrophic 20 year war i mean I, I, just as as a you know a brother in arms of of anyone who's ever served we all feel part of that brotherhood you know and uh when anybody loses their life in combat it's just you feel it personally and and i certainly do but this one is got to be even more egregious because i mean what can you say to the family members that your loved ones lost their lives literally days just a handful of days before the end of this pointless 20-year war. And that, that's that been what's driving me really from the beginning, ever since I've – really back in 2009 when I first started publishing on this stuff, but especially in 2012 after I got back from my second combat tour and knew people who were killed in combat. That's what's been driving me relentlessly over the years. Uh, maybe not quite as much as you, but I've been giving you a run for your money on the relentless drive part. Uh, but that's why, because, mm-hmm. you know, this this is not just a policy issue. This is not just a good idea or bad idea. This is catastrophic life and death issues. Men are dead that shouldn't be dead. Women are dead that shouldn't be dead. And that goes for both the United States and the, and the Afghan side, because this could have been capped off at least a decade ago. And, and maybe the same outcome would have happened. Maybe the Afghan government would have been able to stand on their own if we had withdrawn when we had a chance and when they they would have had a chance, but we didn't take any <clears throat> any of those opportunities. We just continued to lie every year about how things were making progress, even though we knew for sure behind the scenes that they weren't. The, everybody's like, yo, I'm only there for a year, so I'll just continue the fiction in, until it's handed off to the next guy, and it'll be somebody else's problem. Well, the problem with that is that eventually the the catastrophe and the metastasis of the cancer gets so big, you can't spin it anymore. And finally, reality imposes itself over the spin, which is precisely what we had with the collapse of the Afghan government, the rise of the Taliban. Now, no one can hide from the truth anymore. And now at the very end, we have one more big casualty list. And and it's just uh, such a tragedy because it could have been avoided.
0: Yeah. All right. Now to zoom in on what actually happened there done it and do we need to reinvade the country now
1: <laughs> uh, there's certainly plenty of people calling for that I was on a few TV shows last night where there was some of the other guests were arguing exactly that thing and there's been no shortage of you know heroic congressmen trying to argue for this for that's what we should do right now but that that is just insane and, and idiotic uh, to be putting it politely uh, what we know is that it was uh, high probability that it was What's called ISIS-K, which is uh, it's it's an an acronym for basically the same ISIS group that uh, originated in in Syria and Iraq. A splinter group has formed in Afghanistan. Which basically has drawn itself from the most radical elements of the Afghan and the Taliban and and the Pakistan Taliban, the two separate organizations. The those Taliban were not violent enough for these people, so they formed their own offshoot and called themselves ISIS-K. The the thing is that they're relatively small. Uh, There's estimates anywhere between one and two thousand total. In the country, and you know, just to give you a means of comparison, there's somewhere between 75 and 100,000 Taliban. So, you know, it's just a minuscule number in comparison. But what you see is when somebody's intent on doing violence and evil and and, and murder, it's not that hard because of all the chaos in Kabul. Uh, you know, it's it's an impossibility to suggest that the Taliban had the ability to provide perfect security for the the area around the Kabul airport. And look, they have self-interest to want to do so. Because they hate uh, the, the ISIS, and they've been in a battle with them for a long, long time. And by the way, 28 people who were killed in that blast were Taliban. So this idea that this they may have been secretly colluding to try to kill us is absurd because they're not going to sacrifice 28 of their own guys. I mean, that's absurd. Uh, but th- this idea that we need to either keep troops there or send more over there to to fight them is absurd because, look— this just highlights what, one of the things we've been saying forever and on your show, too. The only reason they kill these Americans is because they're there. If we withdrew earlier, if we had withdrawn on May 1st like we were supposed to have originally, they wouldn't be there. They wouldn't have been there for, to be attacked. And after we leave, they would, again won't be able to go anywhere. They are a national organization. They may have fantasies about international terrorism, but they've got to leave there in order to do anything anywhere else. And we have great mechanisms to track all of that kind of stuff. And it's been very effective over the years and improved dramatically, which also underscores why we don't need troops on the ground there. And we will continue to keep ourselves safe. But I'm arguing that it'll actually be better because now then we won't have those targets just sitting there waiting to find out if somebody's going to attack them or not. And of course, that's the same reason why we need to withdraw from Iraq and Syria. But that's a argument for a separate day, but this logic remains valid.
0: Yeah. boy, yeah, there's a whole other uh, set of arguments for there. but now, so this is the thing, right? the the knee jerks that look, if 13 of our guys just got killed, well, of course, then we have to put more of our guys in harm's way. We have to continue the war. Because otherwise, essentially, we're letting the other guys get the last word, something like that. Yeah,
1: and look, and let me be. Let me make sure I'm clear on this. I, I in no way suggest that there shouldn't be retribution for what happened. And I'm a strong proponent that there should. But that also underscores how effective we can be, because the same mechanisms that we used to take out Osama bin Laden in Pakistan, Al Baghdadi in Syria, uh, Soleimani uh, in when he was in um, in, in Baghdad that time. All of the the organization and the troops and the assets that actually took out those direct those threats to America, none of them were in the on the ground in those places. None of them, not even the one in Iraq, even though we had troops there. The strike team came from elsewhere, and we will do the same thing here. I, in fact, I I would I would be surprised if Biden does anything before we get out. I, I would strongly suggest and hope he does wait until after Tuesday, so it'll lessen the chance of any more American targets getting shot while we're, uh, you know, we're still there once we're out and the risk is lower, then I'm sure he'll use that same capability to make direct strikes on targeted, uh, ISIS people and, and will exact a revenge and a justice for, for the, uh, for the murderous attack. Yeah. But you I don't just, need troops on the ground for that.
0: I wouldn't be too surprised if the Taliban beat him to it and just lynched some guys and said, we got him." <laughs> And I, and I wouldn't be surprised yeah, if they got the right happen. guys, actually, at this point, you know?
1: It's entirely possible because they have interest. They have reason to do that.
0: Well, and they've been, you know, fighting really bloody, horrible battles against ISIS for a very long time. And, yeah, I mean, that's the time. thing that, you know, th- I'm not sure. I've really got to start watching cable TV news again, I guess. because it <laughs> It's is hard. I know, man, you know. <laughs> Um, but that's, you know, there's a lot of things missing from the narrative, such as the Taliban have a real interest in killing these guys. Aside from just sucking up to us, they hate them anyway. Yeah, man. You know, I saw the most disappointing thing. I'm gonna go ahead and complain about this in another interview already. Uh, Reed Coverdale sent me a video of Tulsi Gabbard saying, that the uh, presumed ISIS guys, and she just throws in Al-Qaeda like, oh, yeah, no, we have to believe Al-Qaeda is in Afghanistan, too, just as long as you're making up stuff. And then she says, "Uh, yeah, no, they did this because we won't convert to their religion. And so that's, Mm. you know, and I'm thinking, wow, what a permanent war. We're going to have to fight forever. Danny, the,
1: that's interesting. Dulcie used to be pretty good on some of this stuff. I'm, I'm really surprised about that.
0: Yeah, no, she's always got the core premises of the terror war wrong and as wrong as she can. I'm not really sure why. She used to pile around with the Christians United for Israel, you know, hardcore Christian Zionist uh, crazies movement and stuff like that. But it seems like that was a while back. It seems like they have less influence over her, but... Um, She sounds like Frank Gaffney on this stuff. It's just absolutely ridiculous. At one point during the campaign, she put out a video on Twitter where she said there are hundreds of these groups. She goes, goes, look, there's Al-Qaeda in the Idlib province. There's Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, which America backs in both those circumstances, as she knows. But anyway, there's Al-Shabaab in Somalia. And now I'm like, okay, well, yeah. All right. And then next after that, there are hundreds of these groups. Oh, really? Is that why you can name three and on the third one you're already stretching it? Okay. (laughs) You know, hundreds of these groups, so anywhere there's a Sunni with a rifle, America has to stay at war forever. Come on.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's really uh, one of the fundamental flaws that, that number one, that, that putting troops even does or can help prevent terrorist attacks against our people, but number two, that you can, that there's even a need for it, because unless they can get out of wherever they are, It doesn't matter how angry they are with the Kalashnikov rifle. They can't do anything to America or Americans. But if they start traveling and start doing things and making plans, now then they can be identified and interdicted. So unless they do something, there's no point in in, in, uh, wasting a lot of resources that aren't going to be successful anyway and aren't necessary. Because they can rail and scream all they want in the empty desert, and it's not going to make any difference to us. So just leave them alone. Yeah.
0: All right. Now, here's the thing. And it's legitimate in its own little way anyway, right, is—and I actually hadn't seen this myself, but I heard about it and sounds right—that they've got dead soldiers' families on TV, especially on Fox, I guess, saying that, you know, by backing out of the war, that's what means that everybody who fought in it died for nothing, and that's what's the disgrace— to their family. They've been proud that their son had paid the ultimate sacrifice for the right reason. And then now the Democrats completely blow it. And that's certainly how they feel about it. But so what would you say to
1: them? Yeah, you know, that's you got to tread careful on that, because I, I have such extremely high respect uh, and and empathy for for all of the family members who've lost it, I mean, it's been as I said earlier, it's been one of my driving factors in why I've been so relentless over you know a decade and a half on, on that this stuff needs to be ending because of the consequence and the cost to us. <clears throat> so I, I wouldn't really directly say anything to them because I mean any any family member who loses a loved one in a, in a combat zone, especially. Are, are desperate for anything to show that the, that the sacrifice was not in vain, that something positive was actually accomplished, and and to be deprived of that is to, in some ways, uh, increase the, the the pain. But what I consider a you know almost a, a far more egregious, if not outright, vindictive uh, policy is to tread with that and, and to. To ply with that anger and that that uh, emotion and say, no, no, they were all heroes and, and allowed them because then that that perpetuates the thing. Like there's some uh, laudatory uh, uh, philosophy or idea that, yeah, let's keep doing this because that's, that's good on them. No, no, it's not because the, the bloody, hard, cold fact is that these lives have almost all been sacrificed for no gain to our country. They shouldn't have been put in harm's way. They shouldn't have had to sacrifice their lives, and our country is not better for it. In fact, it's worse for it because our security has been lessened by all of these price and costs that we keep paying, both financially and and blood and limbs. So my focus would be on the people who sent them there and who keep sending them there, and all these people who want to recommend that we keep going or that we go back in. Look, you go talk to – and explain to the mothers and the wives and the kids of the soldiers who haven't died yet, and explain to them why it's cool for their son or daughter to die, for their husband or their father or their mother to sacrifice their life for no gain to our country. That's It's self-evident that this is not a successful. Now, when you do that, then I might have a little bit more respect for you. You'll still be wrong, but that's what I want to see. And I'm so tired of seeing people you know, hold up their sacrifice as though it's something— intrinsically valuable by itself that, you know, in spite of what the war has done.
0: Hey, y'all check out my new book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism at enoughalreadybook.net. Early reviews are that people either think it's hilarious or they get so angry that they put it down. But it's the Iranian Revolution, the 80s Afghan War, the Iran-Iraq War, Iraq War One, Iraq War One and a half, and then Afghanistan, Iraq War Two, Somalia, Pakistan, Libya, Syria, Iraq War III, Yemen, and all the special operations wars throughout Africa in the aftermath of the war in Libya. It's all there for you. might change a friend's mind. Enough already. Time to end the war on terrorism at enoughalreadybook.net. Hey guys, Scott Horton here for expanddesigns.com. Harley Abbott and his crew do an outstanding job designing, building, and maintaining my sites, and they'll do great work for you. You need a new website? Go to expanddesigns.com Scott and save 500 bucks. Hey, guys, check out Listen and Think audiobooks. They're at listenandthink.com and, of course, on audible.com, and they feature my book, Fool's Aaron, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, as well as Brand New Out Inside Syria by our friend Reese Ehrlich, and a lot of other great books, mostly by libertarians there. Uh, Reese might be one exception, but essentially they're all uh, libertarian audiobooks. And here's how you can get a lifetime subscription to Listen and Think audiobooks. Just donate a $100 to The Scott Horton Show at scotthorton.org slash donate. And, you know, the thing of it is, is it's almost all people who have not been over there who talk that way. It's not really... I mean, I'm sure there are veterans' families who've got really hurt feelings going on right now. But mostly this kind of thing is invoked by people who probably hadn't actually met a soldier in 10 years or something, you know? Yeah. Living in New York City on their in their fancy glass right. towers. Um, and and I mean, look,
1: and I think a lot of the people, it's not true of everybody, but a lot of these people who were so quick to, to – uh, traffic on, on the, the emotional, these people, they don't even know any or don't even care. They just think it's an effective tool. And, uh, I, I just, it just rubs me the wrong way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I hate the partisanship of it all. I mean, I know you lean a little bit right, but it doesn't seem like you're much of a party guy.
1: Um, I'm but, an American guy. I, I don't really care much about either party, just to be yeah. honest with you.
0: But it's just, you can see where, for the people who do put party first, how it just dumbs down every single thing out of yeah. their mouth in such a horrible way, just destroys any semblance of real debate about what's happening or why. Right. Or yeah, that any is kind that is context. so true. And you know, I mean, really, this is one of the best examples of that, right? Where Trump and Biden's people are blaming each other, right? When right. they should both be blaming George W. Bush and Barack Obama and congratulating exactly. each other, and right. You know, I mean, that should be the thing of it. You know, Trump negotiated this deal and Biden saw it through. And even in his statement yesterday, he said, look, if Mackenzie asked me for more soldiers. For the implementation of the evacuation, he can have them. But I asked him, do you have what you want and need? And he said, yes. So that's where it stands. And no, we're not reescalating the war. And you can tell everybody who's hawking it up on this. Or I don't I don't know everybody. I should be reading the national review, I guess. But everybody who I see hawking it up on the water, they're not saying it. If we send troops back, then that means you realize that means war. And that means another regime change in Kabul. And that means we're gonna have to send what 75,000 guys and and massive air power to now reforce the Taliban out of all the capital cities and get right back to where we were a year ago, supposedly somehow and call that progress toward what? Because yeah, look, anything this, less this than this that, idea, what are you going to do? you Are going to start the war all over again, but with your last few guys right there in their hands? Better not well, do exactly. that. But nobody's you know, even talking I, I, about the consequences of that, where we have a ceasefire right now, we have a handshake, and they're living up to it, so that would be a pretty right. big deal to break that at this late date, wouldn't it?
1: you know, this, uh, one of the things I've seen floated around by a bunch of people. So somebody even asked it in the, in, uh, Biden's press conference yesterday. Um, in fact, one of the generals I was on with, uh, overnight again said, you know, one of the most catastrophic decisions was the decision to give up Bagram air base earlier in the process. And, you know, we should, we should just go back and reoccupy it. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Number one, when the, when the Bagram was handed over in early July, July 2nd, I believe, was the date. At that time, we were operating or we were conducting a withdrawal of 2,500 soldiers with the expectation to leave 600 of them in the embassy compound to continue operating. There was no evacuation. It was just a military withdrawal and a sequenced collapse of all of our facilities, which made perfect sense. It wasn't until you had the almost simultaneous collapse of the political and military infrastructure in total in mazar sharif Kandahar city and Herat city, the three largest cities outside of Kabul simultaneously. And instead of the Taliban having to fight their way, you know, to win in those cities and then come to Kabul, they literally just drove in their cars to Kabul. So everything was over and suddenly, and on as of April or August 13th, that's when the last city fell, Now, all of a sudden, you have a massive scramble, and now it's an evacuation. Instead of 2,500, now it's like well over 100,000. And the the idea that to go back and change what actually happened and say, oh, we shouldn't have given away Bagram then – because it wasn't an evacuation then. Otherwise, of course, that's what we would have done. That made perfect sense, but it didn't make any sense the way if, if it had just been a withdrawal where the Afghan government and military just continued to function and exist, then, then everything would have been actually pretty smooth the way it's gone down. But to go back in, are you kidding me? Because that would, number one, that airfield is occupied by the Taliban. You would have to seize it with a combat operation, Kill all those guys, and that by itself is going to be an expensive endeavor, both in blood and treasure. And then, (laughs) just to your point, this makes all of a sudden the Taliban is now an active enemy. And look, all of our guys in in that little compound in Kabul in the airport, they are just like in a fishbowl. The Taliban have everything around it to include all the high ground. All they got to do is start lobbing in uh, rockets, some missiles they have, mortars, sniper fire. I mean, we would be sitting ducks and all of that because we turned the uh, Taliban from what right now is a cooperative partner. And I know people hate to even hear that term in association with Taliban, but that's a fact. They are helping us. They are helping to provide some security from ISIS. They've actually interdicted some of the. Uh, attacks They haven't all succeeded already because of they've been helping, and they haven't been attacking us. Now, you go and you change any of those, and all of a sudden, it's not 13 casualties. Now, it's potentially in the hundreds, and that's absurd, and then everything gets destroyed. But that's so obvious, or it should be, but people aren't thinking anything through As To your point, again, they're just thinking emotionally, and yeah, we should do this. No, we shouldn't, because that's absurd. That's why we're not doing it. We want to get out so no more Americans die. That's the objective.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the talking points, too, is that even if they're helping people or allowing people to get out and not standing in the way and trying to preserve the peace in Kabul, that still that amounts to them holding all of our people as hostages and bargaining chips and that at any time they could seize them all at any time. Of course, of course they could. Huh?
1: Of course they could. I mean, that—that's the whole point. As long as we just do what we've agreed to, we're going to get out in a, in a day and a half, or, or by Tuesday, and, and everybody's going to be out—at uh, least the, the, certainly the vast majority of them. No one else needs to die if we can just keep, you know, basically seventy-two more hours clear from ISIS-K, because we apparently don't have to worry about Taliban because they're keeping their word and they want us out. Yeah. And that—that's to our benefit because we don't want anyone else killed.
0: And I mean, look, as far as counterfactuals about how they could have done this otherwise I mean, the two major problems are first all the weapons they left with the ANA um, that then the Taliban ended up just seizing. Right. And then secondly, the evacuation. But the alternative there, it seems like the only alternative would have been for Biden to say outright, like in a speech immediately upon taking office that I know you guys are all going to throw rotten tomatoes at me. However, the ANA and the Kabul government are absolutely, ridiculously bankrupt in every way, you know, in terms of legitimacy and money and every other thing. And they're a farce and they cannot last. And so, therefore... We're not leaving the ANA with any weapons. And I know you're going to say, yeah, but that's going to undermine the ANA. And I'm just telling you, they're not going to last anyway. And it's way too big of a risk that the Taliban will just get them all. So we're taking all of the trucks and all of the light arms and all of the everything, all the helicopters and everything that we've given them. Screw it. And if you say that withdrawing all of our civilians from Kabul will uh, help you know, undermine confidence in the government there, that's just tough. It was going to fall anyway. And so, you know, Republicans cry about it if you want to. But that's it. And yes, we're getting out by May 1st. In fact, we're going to try to get out by April 1st and just, you know, maybe 15. Yeah. So it doesn't sound so foolish. Um, and 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 then just, <laughs> yeah, tax day. That would be more fitting. Right. Um, right. And then and then um, and then that would be it. Right. Just like tough. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's the only way to do it. And, you know, sorry, I know it's going to be tough for the people of Afghanistan, but it was going to be anyway, et cetera, et cetera. But then, you know, when you put the counterfactual like that, there's no way they could do that. They're Democrats. You know, they can't be that honest about anything. And so, in fact, it's so sad. I don't even know why they really kicked the can down the road. I know the generals were begging them to give them more time, but he should have told them to go to hell then. May 1st is the deadline. That was the deal. My predecessor shook hands, signed the thing on paper. And so sorry. We got to do it. And instead, maybe it was for political reasons that he wanted to for this to be Biden's withdrawal and not Trump's withdrawal, that he was just the junior partner in or something like that. But what a mistake, right? Because we could have been gone and then have the Taliban take over right. the country after nobody cares because all of our people are already out, you know? And, and that goes yeah, for people who were quizzlings too, a, you know, translators point. and so forth. They should get a ride home or, you know, out of there. <clears throat> Go ahead.
1: Yeah, as you said, that that's an important point. It wouldn't have changed the outcome. It would have just changed the cost to us. The same outcome, the Taliban in control of Afghanistan would have happened no matter which way you went, whether we got it on May 1st as a schedule or whether we did it the way we did. That's important to point out. And, and that's what should have happened. And we argued that defense priorities, I mean, relentlessly, that that's what we should have done on May 1st for the very reasons you pointed out. And, you know, we see how it worked out.
0: Yeah. All right. So what's the time here? Oh, man, we got to hurry. Did you yeah. see this important thing at Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y, Odyssey.com? And it's by Jack Murphy, the former special operations officer. I forgot if he's a Green Beret. I think he's a Green Beret. Anyway, um, he writes this. Looser rules, more civilian deaths, a Taliban takeover inside America's failed Afghan drone campaign. And this is based on new whistleblowers, new sources talking to Jack Murphy about the drone war in the Trump era. And how looser rules of engagement from Iraq War three against the Islamic State there were then brought back over to the Helmand province in the war in Afghanistan, where, man, they're just killing people essentially at random. If you touch a radio, that's a death sentence, this kind of thing. And uh, anyway, have you seen that?
1: I have not, but I have seen a lot of things here recently. Uh, you know, about whistleblowers, uh, it's specifically about the drone program, exposing what we've all known to be true, that it's been grossly ineffective uh, and, and kills as, as many innocent civilian peoples as it ever did, uh, you know, alleged bad guys. And, and even the bad guys you took off, it didn't have any strategic impact. So all we were doing was killing a lot of people, a lot of people by mistake and getting nothing for it. It was absurd. It was obscene and it was immoral and it should almost be shut down or at least dramatically scaled back.
0: Yeah, this is just one more piece of it. And I think we knew already, of course, that the number of strikes in Afghanistan had gone way up and we knew that Trump had loosened the rules of engagement and not just the rules of engagement, but the command authority. Is that how they call it? Is that the correct lingo for who gets to choose to pull the trigger? Yep. Yeah. So, um, and they had devolved the command authority all the way down the chain to like captain level or whatever it was um, to call in any strike. Whereas, you know, under Obama, they had eventually come with stricter rules of engagement there. Um, but this is, new, this is just a whole new point out. of view into that war there. I'm sorry?
1: I said, which was Obama's rules were also you know, egregiously bad. So
0: Absolutely. put that
1: in context.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's what, you know, Daniel Hale just went to prison for liberating the drone papers yeah. for uh, us. Don't, don't remind that. me
1: that that's so painful for me to even consider.
0: It is. It, it Yeah, it's really it's really bad. And, and people should look at the drone papers or the assassination <laughs> complex of the book. Um, and then again, this is at uh, Odyssey dot com inside America's failed drone campaign against the Taliban. And it's like, yeah, check that you know, out. five or eight thousand words or some kind of thing of of in-depth reporting here. Really great stuff. Um, and then so lastly, I wanted to ask you real quick if you could give us a comment about the possibility of uh, the CIA and or whoever else. I guess JSOC getting in bed with the resistance fighters under Massoud's son in the oh. Panjshir Valley.
1: Oh, my Lord. That is just the, if we are looking for one more thing to just completely botch on the way out, it would be that. I mean, it doesn't look like Biden's even going to give it the time of day for an even consideration, so good on him for that. But, man, there has been a lot of people, Lindsey Graham has been shouting about that just this morning, and that is the most absurd idea that we've ever seen. I mean, dude, you just had every advantage and every money and every support for 20 years and they disintegrated with the first pressure and you want to now go and support a little fraction of that. I mean, that's insane. No, absolutely not. hundred percent. No, get out of it. Stay out of it. Leave it to them to do whatever they're going to do.
0: Yep. All right. With that, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. Really appreciate it.
1: Always my pleasure, Scott. Thank you.
0: All right, you guys, that is retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Daniel L. Davis, famous whistleblower from the Afghan surge in 2012 and fellow at Defense Priorities. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., APSradio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.